0: and start our programming uh, and and give a huge thank you to Saria, uh, who's going to be leading us through this program. We're going to be discussing um, our, her, she's going to be sharing with us her poems. Then um, she's going to discuss why, what it was for her. Why, like, why did she write it? What message of hope she has from here, everything. From there, we're going to move to a discussion. I'm going to share a a Jewish poem that really calls to my heart. And we're going to share about how literature really affects our faith. Uh, going forth. So without any more delay, Sariah, thank you so much for, for joining us today. We appreciate you. For those of you who are joining, thank you so much. Uh, Sariah, take it away. Um, I'm just so ready to be inspired by your poetry.
1: Thank you so much. You. That was um, hello, my name is Saria. I'm White Mountain Apache in Navajo, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. This is my first poem. It's called My Go-To Icebreaker Answer. My name is Saria and I'm the one native person you know, or the first you've been forced to listen to. I'm the one who makes everyone uncomfortable with the words I speak. My name is Saria, but according to Disney, the media and party city, my name is Pocahontas. My name is Elizabeth Warren's cousin. My name is a sexy Indian wench. I'm the one who refers to himself as a red skin. It makes you think of your racist grandparents or maybe your favorite football team. My name is Saria, and when I speak my language, it makes you uncomfortable. But remember, my language is what saved your country of the free. My name is Saria, and I make you uncomfortable in a world designed for your comfort. The way my voice quivers but raises when I talk about missing and murdered Indigenous women, or the fact that some mascots are just plain racist, it makes you feel something that you haven't felt before and you're terrified. Because you know there's something I know very well but just can't seem to understand it. I speak of white privilege, and you hear me talking about your dishwashers, ruffled potato chips, and your yearly family trips to Hawaii, but of course that can't be you, right? You think that's just normal life, because all you've done is benefit from the exclusion of Black and brown people. My name is Saria, but according to the Declaration of Independence, my name is the merciless Indian savage. The way I talk about America may sound like I hate it. Like when I you about how I'm asked if I'm legal or illegal, if I live in teepees or an actual house, but you can't understand why. You can't help but feel sorry for me because you know there's something I know that you don't. And you want to know and understand why I am the way that I am. You want to help me and be my white savior. But when you see me looked at inside, when we talk about Donald Trump or the native stereotypes that control my life, you decide you don't want to know what I know, to so ignore my truths, my dead cousin, raped ancestors, and friends. So when I speak, you speak over me. And when I'm proud, you put me down because you're scared. She is Taylor Jose, she is and she's Low Claw question. To talk there. Taylor seen. She was Rita Klai, Danny Taylor Sr. Jose white painted woman Ford Apache my ancestors wildest dreams and I am terrified and my name is Saria but because I'm in a red skin I'm forced to be strong and loud and make you so uncomfortable when all I want in this great big colonized world is to be comfortable just like you. So that was my first poem Um, like I said it's called my go-to icebreaker answer I mentioned that my name is Saria a lot in it, mostly because no one ever knows how to say my name, which is totally fine because it's a really hard name. But um, when I wrote this poem, I was going to a writing retreat in Ohio and it was in Columbus, Ohio. So we could already see like how that's slightly uncomfortable. And I was really nervous because this poetry retreat was supposed to be in the middle of the woods. And they kept telling us there's gonna be no self-service, there's gonna be like, you're basically getting unplugged for like three days. And I was really worried because I was just like, I'm going to the middle of the woods in Ohio with a bunch of white older people that I have never met before in my entire life. And that was really scary for me, mostly because I'm really a homebody. I stay with my parents and my siblings all the time. Um, I don't really go anywhere. If I do go somewhere, it was mostly just with my youth council, which was just native people. So I was pretty nervous. And plus, I was very brand new to poetry at this point. So I had zero idea whatsoever to expect. I never even really took a true writing class about poetry. So I was super nervous. And I got there and everybody was so nice. Like, um, I don't know, they were just really kind. They were people that I don't know, they wouldn't seem like they would be super nice on the outside, I guess, you know, which is kind of judging a book by its cover. But I, they were just so, so kind, and they re like, I don't know, they helped me trust people more, I guess, per se. That's how I would explain it. They understood that I'm not like them, basically, and my poetry tells a very different story from other people's poetry and everything that I talk about in my poetry is stuff that's important to me. And a lot of times when I had readings beforehand, um, if someone didn't understand or they just didn't relate, they would become angry with that and be angry with me for, you know, exposing them to that sort of thing that's brand new. But these people, they like thanked me for it and they were like, thank you for letting us know about this. I didn't know this beforehand. I didn't know this was even a thing. And That really helped me because one, it helped me see humans differently because growing up where I always have, I've always grown up in areas that were mainly white and that didn't acknowledge native peoples. Um, Oftentimes it was just, I would get bullied for being native or they'd be like, you're native, but natives don't exist anymore kind of thing. And that was really frustrating for me. And when I was younger, i I took it really badly and I decided I'm not going to be Native anymore. I resigned myself from being Native. I didn't really try and learn anything about it or anything like that. I just stayed out of it as much as I could. But being in that sort of environment and being basically like cheered on per se, it just completely changed that for me. I felt so accepted in that moment and it really helped me in terms of my poetry and just as getting to know myself as a person. I said I was really brand new to everything regarding poetry and like activism per se within the Native community so it really helped me be more confident in everything that I was talking about and everything that I was trying to learn myself and to educate others within and um in the poem I talk about things like um like how the world views Natives like with the whole Pocahontas thing or the Elizabeth Warren thing or the sexy, the sexy Indian wench. Um, all those those are all names that I've been called before. And we had this whole talk about like um, different names that you've been called. And we had to like write it down on this piece of paper. And we wrote all these horrible names down and they were like, okay, um, how can you find like strength within that? Like, what can you take away? And I thought about it and um, I'm the type of person that Bad things happen, but we just kind of, I just kind of joke throughout it. I noticed a lot of native people are like that. We just take it as it comes. Um, during the election, CNN, um, they had different um, demographic statistics, that's what it is. And there was like whites and Caucasian, um, Latinx, and I don't know, just a bunch of different categories to place people within. And what they put that, was for natives, I assume, was something else, and that was very horrible because that's like erasure, erasure of native peoples, and it's just not cool. We're just in, we're native people. You could just put that down, but they didn't do that. They put something else, and instead of just getting like super heartbroken or super butthurt about it, the native community just made a joke out of it. <laughs> we all just joked about it and we laughed about it. We pretty much just got over it, and a lot of the times that's how a lot of us learn to cope with different things. We just laugh about it and get over it. And in different parts of my poem, it's very like, um, I don't know what the word is. It's kind of like I'm throwing it back in their face, I guess. Not I don't mean to be mean about it, but it's kind of like I'm throwing it back in their face because a lot of the time, the different things that I talk about in my poem and even just using my introduction in Apache, that was Apache, by the way, I didn't even say that, I'm sorry. Um, those things aren't associated with really natives anymore. Um, you would think it would be, considering it's our culture, but a lot of those things aren't. And I don't know, that's just one of my favorite poems to introduce myself with. Um, I'm gonna read another poem, it doesn't even have a title, but it's it's pretty, it's good, and then it gets really sad. That, that's my warning for you. I don't know how else to explain it. I fell in love at the Navajo Travel Center on the outskirts of, Gil- of Gallup, on my way to Albuquerque, wearing a maroon mask and a white Mount Apache shirt three years worn checkered vans i was heartbroken in tuba city at the sonics drinking a cherry limeade i decided to live my life in new york i drank coffee and wore what i wanted and bought so much art and i cut my hair i never stopped moving like the city i decided to move to california to breathe with the ocean i fell in love with the salt in my hair i taught poetry to kids and i went vegan Later I moved to Paris. I bought way too many clothes, I drank so much coffee and I, I fell in love every other day with the art that I saw. I moved to Rome and when I began to age too much I worked on weaving Navajo rugs and educating others with the lives that natives live. I went back to New York, helped in a museum then decided I was ready to go home to my res. I got in the car and drove. My car broke down in the sundown downtown and there my existence was taken from me. I'm not sure if my body was left or left there or if I ever made it home. But I do know that I lived up to the ex- expectation of a two out of three. So the last part, I mentioned the two out of three. Um, two out of three Native women are expected to be sexually assaulted or abused, um, which is a pretty horrible statistic, but it's oftentimes like, it's just kind of what is expected, which is really terrible to say. But that's just the kind of life that Native women live. Everything we do, we have to do it carefully. Like I can't just go, even though I live in Gilbert, I can't just go out for a walk in the middle of the night. That's not something I could ever do. And it's just, it's really dangerous. And in the beginning, um, I talk about um, getting heartbroken in Tuba City. And a lot of people always think that's like about a guy. That is not about a guy. It's just like, a lot of the times as an urban native, you don't get really like truly accepted by um, res natives because you're not native enough, basically. You're, you're too white, you're too urban. So getting heartbroken in Tuba city by that, I mean like I wasn't accepted basically. Like I just didn't feel like I belonged there. So that's why, you know, I go on to live my life in New York and California and all these different places and to do so many different things like living a fun life basically because going to these places like New York and California or like Rome and Paris you know those are like places that everybody wants to go if you live in a small town or you have like the small town like ideas a lot of times you think like I want to go to New York New York is a big fast moving city and things like that and when I was younger I always wanted to go to New York especially um When i spent time with my grandparents a lot because that's what i did i would stay with them for like summers or whatever and i would just be like i can't wait to move to new york i can't wait to do all these things but at the end of the day um even trying to go back home this person her life was taken from her because she never really stopped being native that the the weight of the statistic that holds you down it never went away like I don't know, all these things could have happened anywhere else, like becoming a two out of three could have happened anywhere else, but it happened as she was on her way back home. And I made the poem like that because a lot of the times I noticed that different people, we try to run away from what our identity can do to us. Um, I've seen it even in people that I know. And I did that too, obviously, with trying to like stop being native. I tried to run away from what being Native is like, and you'd never get out of it. And it's a sad poem, but she still got to do these things. There's this idea that you, especially within our Native youth, that you're not going to become anything, that you can't, there's nothing more for you, but you can do these things. Like she got out of these different places. And yeah, I'm going to stop analyzing that poem now because I'm just getting myself lost. But this next poem, um, it's personally one of my favorites. I wrote it very recently though. Um, in the poem, I mentioned a man named Harris. So COVID-19 obviously hurt a lot of people, but it really hurt our indigenous peoples because um, if you look at the Navajo Nation, it is huge. It spans across like four different states, I think. and. There's only, like, I think there's three hospitals, but they're spanned out so far that if you want to go to one, you have to drive at least two hours, depending where you are. For my nolly woman, my grandma, she has to go two hours if she wants to go to the nearest Walmart and, you know, buy things. And she, luckily, she has running water, but she didn't have it before. And there are all these people on the res that don't have running water and don't have these, you know, things that are necessities. And, um... That obviously hurt our people a lot and the government didn't really help too much either so we lost a lot of people and and whatever we lost um harris and he was one of our medicine men he carried all of the songs all of the language he carried all of that and um for me personally when i had my dance i didn't know what was going on i had really no idea but he never treated me like i was dumb or that I don't, He never treated me like how most Rez natives treat me. He always treated me with a lot of respect and a lot of kindness. And he just meant a lot to me, yeah. I want to fall in love to an Aretha Franklin song. I want to finish making coffee and bring it to my partner. The crackles of the vinyl churning, the yellowish glow in the room. I want to commit crimes while listening to rage against the machine. Blood pumping my vans hitting the pavement, running away from the Klan brothers after knocking down another Columbus statue. I wanna drive around the world with my grandma, listening to George Jones moan over the loss of his love, hands out the window, her laughter filling the air. I wanna see my brother in his own art gallery. Some of his paintings and paintings from others surrounding him, standing tall, his hair long. I wanna let my friends know that I love them. I wanna move the roadblocks in their paths, make the people who hurt them learn kindness. I want to buy my friends breakfast at Denny's and listen to them talk about anything or everything for hours on end, I want to see Harris again, sitting in a red folding chair, a Diet Coke in hand, and I want him to tell me I did a good job, that I didn't quit and I didn't let the world fall. I want to be at peace. No need for land defenders or marches for human rights. I want to know that my siblings and her siblings and his siblings and their siblings and him and her and they are safe. I want to apologize to all those who have done wrong, and those that I've confused. I was dumb and young, and I still am very dumb and very young, but now I have realized that my words mean something, and I'm sorry. I want to listen to London Symphony Orchestra, Rachmaninoff Symphony No. 2, Movement 3, Adagio, and lay on the ground where I once had my sunrise dance. I want to rest in the old cornfield, sunflowers over me, dark thunderstorm clouds rolling by. I want to be listening to my grandpa sing, singing and laughing. I want to be at peace. 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 I be at peace. Someone doesn't have a title, but um, basically it's just about obviously things that I want to happen. And a lot of them just have to do with just things being okay. Um, Lately, and basically always, it feels like everything's just happening, everything's just going on, nothing, we're never at peace, there's always just something that's happening, and at the end, I say, I want to be at peace four times, because in Navajo, when you end a prayer, you say, four times, and basically, it means, um, basically, kind of just that, in like an English sense of the word, you can't really explain some, like, Navajo words in, in English, but Basically, it means, like, I want, I want peace. I want everything to just be, you know, like, balanced out. I just want that. And um, the part that I mentioned, laying on the ground where I once had my sunrise dance, um, when, when, when you get your um, period, you have to have a period, a puberty ceremony, that's how you say it. And um, for me, that's what inspired me to learn about being Native again. Like, it really helped me want to make that connection again. And all these people that I mentioned in my poem, like my grandma, that's my grandma, Lita Walker, um, my brother, Brandon, and all these people, they're the ones that helped me get to that time in my life. They they, 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 they give me the faith to to believe that the world's gonna be okay again, like, I don't know because there's so much going on like right now there's a whole pandemic going on right now there's a revolution for human rights there's all these different things like not even just in the united states in china in africa there's so much going on all the time but i don't know there's a hope that everything's going to be okay at some point point. and yeah um <laughs> I'm gonna read this next poem. It's called Bad Day Thoughts. This is my most favorite poem. I think it will be kind of obvious why, but I really like reading this poem just because I like watching people's reactions. And yeah, Bad Day Thoughts. I don't like to wear dresses. They make me nervous, much more cautious than usual, more wary of hands belonging to people I don't know. I don't like drinking water anymore. With every sip, I'm reminded that there are so many others in this world who cannot drink water. It's too dirty, too expensive, or too far for travel, and here I am. With every sip, I'm given life that I waste away. I like to do my makeup, not because I care about European beauty standards or about what old men think of me, but because I can't say everything with words. I need the color. I drink a lot of coffee lately, not only because I like the taste, but because it helps me stay awake. Even with all the horrors in this world, I'd much rather hide here than my dream world because at least here, I know why things happen to someone like me. I want to eat the rich, feel their greed between my teeth, see if the Botox is chewy or like gravel, but unfortunately, I'm booked with trying to save the earth from their corporations. I lust for life constantly, mainly only the sweet cream of it, but I know the bitterness helps. I don't like wearing dresses, drinking water, or sleeping, but I do enjoy a nice sweet cream-infused bitter coffee with Botox on the side. That's one of my favorite poems, mostly just because I could talk about eating the rich and their Botox. Um, when I first read that poem, I read it at the Heard Museum. I did one of their um, Indigenous open mic nights thing. And um, I read the poem. And after I finished, it, I was like looking at the crowd. And this one um, lady, she was sitting there in her face. She just looked very uncomfortable. And she just like touched her face like right here. And she was just like poking at her face. I kind of feel like she might have had Botox, but I don't know. I thought that was super funny. And I was like, I, she came up after me. She told me she liked the poem. So I don't think it was too bad, but it was pretty funny to me. Um, I really like that poem because it's funny per se. Um, It's really hard for me to write funnier poems, especially because everything I write about is basically just like problems. And they're like side problems, they're literally like human rights problems, and you can't really be funny about it per se, but I don't know that's just one of your poems because it seems it seems really sad because you talk about different things like not being able to wear dresses because people are weird and they're weird about it or not being able to just wear makeup because then everyone assumes that you just care like about how you look or you are they, you know, they just think weird things. and. Uh, the copy part isn't too bad, I think. But other than that, it's just it's just like a sad poem in a way, but it also turned kind of funny, and that's just one of my favorites. Um, this next poem I'm gonna read, it's about police brutality. And um, I don't know how to, Native people have the highest like police brutality like rate, and tribal police, uh, there, so, okay, this is how I explain this. Um, so my grandma, she, she woke up one morning and there was a lady beating on her car, okay? She had like a piece of wood and she was like hitting her car. So obviously she called tribal police and she was like, there's someone hitting my car outside right now. And they told her, well, I'm sorry, we're busy right now. Um, call in an hour. And they just left her hanging. And she was like, okay. And she went outside and she was like, hey, leave. (laughs) Because the police aren't coming. So she was like, hey, you need to leave. And or else I'm going to call the police. And the girl was like, okay, go ahead. Call the police. I don't care. And she went towards my grandma with the wood. But my grandma just got inside. She closed the door. And she called the police again. And she said, now she tried to attack me. And she was banging on her window. She's like, she's banging on my window with the wood. And they told her again, I'm sorry. You have to wait an hour. I hope she leaves. And they just kind of left it at that. But when there's things like um drunken disorderly calls or just you know, things like that, the police is there like in a second arresting them and taking them away instead of like trying to provide any services for those people, like, hey, do you need somewhere to stay for the night? And I don't know. But yeah, this poem is about police brutality and yeah, for my brothers. Dear lovely young brown boys with your long thick hair flowing in the wind and your dirty faces. I beg of you, don't walk in the dark alone. When the policeman speaks to you, don't talk back. Don't move, don't mumble and raise your hands higher than your dreams, my lovely voice. There are so many injustices in this world and I don't want to lose you to this one too. I know you're just walking home to help your grandma. Nothing in your pockets but our ancestors' prayers but the men in blue will kill you and continue on with their lives like they didn't just ruin mine. So please just listen. My young child of creator and my ancestors' wildest dreams don't resist. And as for you, Mr. Policeman, you might believe that dark skin is a weapon but in fact it is a gift so please stand down. You might believe that my lovely boys are dangerous. But the only danger here is that you will not accept them. Um, so originally, this wasn't supposed to be a poem. It was like a brother. It was um, a poem that I wrote, or a letter that I wrote for my brothers. I have three brothers, technically four, but I have three brothers with me right now. I have Austin, Brandon, and Colton. Austin is... 13 oh my god that's crazy my brother Brandon is 11 and Colton is six and they all have really long brown hair and it's all pretty thick and um we don't let them walk anywhere alone and we definitely don't (laughs) let them walk anywhere with like hoodies and stuff like that on and we've already had like the talk with them so many times and we had to have the talk with them that day because they were going on a field trip somewhere and um I don't know. we just had to talk about it again and that idea that we had to have that talk with them was just really bothering me like why do I have to tell my brothers who are so young you know to worry about these things because I'm pretty sure like our neighbors next door that have you know are all white children and they don't have to have this conversation with their kids I'm pretty sure and I don't know it was just really hard for me to deal with the fact that we have to have these conversations. And my brother, uh, or my cousin brother, Jaywan, he plays sports here in um, town. So like they'll go to the res and they'll come back here to play sports. And that's what we had to talk about. Cause sometimes um, his dad will just drop him off at the game. And cause um, the tournaments usually last like all day but my uncle he's on a hot shot so he works like in fires and stuff like that so every now and then he just has to drop him off and he has to wait until we like my family gets there to go take care of him so that's a conversation they have all the time like you need to be careful you can't just be talking you can't just do anything you really want and I don't know it's just something that bugged me for really long times that we have to have these conversations and whenever we have to have these conversations I always feel angry like with with the world or whatever like why do I have to talk to my brothers this way why does it have to be like this and I don't know one time I was telling grandma about it and I was like I hate doing this I don't want to have this conversation with them it makes me so sad and my grandma was like um and don't and I was like what are you talking about obviously I need to have this conversation with them and she was like um what did she say she was like my mom my mom's mom my mom's mom, mom we've all been praying for all of you since the beginning of time you know like people that are people before us that were never even here they were praying for you that you would be safe and that you know creator would take care of you you don't need to you don't need to worry about these things if you don't want to because your ancestors have already worried about them they've already prayed about these things happening and that just kind of blew my mind cuz i never really Thought of that, I'm, I'm not the most like religious person ever. I, I struggle with my il- religious identity a lot, and but when she told me that, I was just like, yeah, like that's something I accepted so quickly, just because it makes so much sense to me that, you know, these people would be praying for me, all the time, and um, yeah, I'm gonna read my next poem. Um, it's called C. This is for my cousin, brother, Cody, Um, is about suicide. Native, I mentioned this part, the 71%, Native men have a 71% um, higher chance, I don't know what exactly the words are, than all other types of men to commit suicide. And yeah, see. Today, my brother is gone. He left this morning to the place inside the feather. He won't return, I know, but that doesn't stop me from leaving the light on for him. This can't happen. The state of complete disbelief and shock I'm in should not be happening because this was never supposed to happen. I should be bringing the key inside, however, I'm leaving it under the mat for him because this was never supposed to happen. My brother has to be coming home soon. It can't be any other way because he's not a part of the 71%. I reject that notion by staying up waiting for him in the living room. My brother went home to rest today, and I realized I need to bring in the key and turn off the light outside. It is time to let my brother rest far away in peace. The TV is turned off because my brother went home to rest today, and I have to learn to accept that. Every bone in my body wants me to go drive around and look for my brother, but I can't because my brain is in physiological shock that my brother is a part of 71%, meaning that this issue I had only read about and learned through secondary sources has now become something close to me. My brother is resting now. Then I leave the light on just in case. But I know that my brother is resting and I can bring the key inside, but I'll always just leave the light on in case. I wrote that um last November. I uh, um, Cody passed away during that time. And I remember I was on my way to the orthodontist because I do Invisalign and I was just totally hanging out. And my mom told me and I don't know why, but it just completely like blew my mind. I just I didn't believe her at all. I had no belief. I was like, whatever, yeah, okay. And um and then we had to like go to the Navajo Nation and stuff and go help and do those things. And the whole time we were there, like everybody's obviously crying, everyone's very sad. I saw all these pictures of him, and um it just completely blew my mind because I'm a part of all these, like, Native organizations, and we always talked about suicide, and we always talked about how it's so common to Native people, and I knew that it was something that could happen, but I never thought it would happen, basically, and after that happened, I started learning about more things that happened, like, in my family, about different people, and I was so upset I just I couldn't believe it, and I was so angry. But I just had to keep reminding myself that wherever he is, he is happier now. Like he he's not in pain anymore. Obviously, something is bothering him so much that he had to do that. And I don't know. It was just so it was so heartbreaking to me. But um, but like yeah, but I know that he's he's okay now, and you know I always loved him, and I always will. And I'm pretty sure he knows that. So yeah, this next poem is called Questions for You. It's basically just a bunch of questions. Um, During this time of just like being inside, a lot of the times, I don't know, you're just told to like, just just get through it. Just get through it. Another day, another dollar kind of thing. And um, I remember my friend was asking me all these questions about like, how are you? How's this going? And I was so annoyed because one, I'm not a very good responder sometimes. So I was like, I'm good. (laughs) And she was like, "But are you really good? There's all this stuff going on. And there's so many things. And yeah, it's kind of based off of that small conversation. Questions for you. How are you? How is your heart still beating slowly or has it changed its pace? How is your mind so hungry for the information of this world? Do you still starve it? Has your mind learned how to love you yet? Or is that still a work in progress? How have you been sleeping lately? Soundly? Or does the sleep paralysis still play with you? How is your meaning? Have you found it yet? Have you allowed it to define you? Or are you still hiding? What is it like when the rain hits your face? Does it slap you? Does it kiss you? Does it still help you breathe? Do you still allow yourself to hurt? Is it still easy for you to get out of bed? Or is it hard? Could you feel my prayers for you when the rain hits your skin? How are you? Um, a lot of the time, for me, rain is something very special, mostly because, um, a lot of the times within Native culture, when we talk about water and things like that, it feels like it's like a re-rebirth, I guess. Like, we're cleansing the earth, we're cleaning it. And I remember when I wrote this poem, it was raining, and, um, there was so much thunder going on, and it was, like, it felt really loud, and I just felt like, um, it was talking to me in a sense. And I was trying to figure out like how, like what it was saying basically. And yeah. Um, I think this is my last one, but this is like seriously one of my most favorite poems because it basically has everybody that I love in it. Like there's my grandma, there's my grandpa. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's pretty long too. So I'll be ready for that. I'm thinking about strawberries. I'm thinking about strawberries and the man who picked them for me. I wonder if he has a granddaughter. I wonder if his granddaughter thinks like I do. I'm thinking about when I was at home, eating spaghetti and commodity cheese, when my grandpa walked in covered in dirt, lunchbox in hand, me hugging him so happy to see him home, wondering why he has to work, why he can't just stay home with me. I wonder if she wonders the same about her grandpa. I'm sitting here eating raspberries, thinking about the sunflowers. I wonder if they keep a conversation with the sun all day. I wonder if they ever say thank you for the nutrients. I'm thinking about my siblings. I wonder how the bat feels when Jaywan swings. When Austin recites dinosaurs out loud, I wonder if the air swirls around him. I'm thinking about Shania laugh so loudly at nothing. I wonder what Colton thinks about when he sees clouds. I wonder if the clouds wave to him like they used to wave to me. I'm thinking about Brandon and how he finds so much beauty in the world to paint it. I'm thinking about how the grass holds Julian when he falls. I'm thinking about Alyssa saying hello to the ocean. I'm thinking about COVID. I wonder how the air feels passing along such a virus. If it feels ashamed or glad, tired of the human to continue to pollute it. I think I should have a sit down with the air and beg it to stop harming my people. Tell about how I've already lost so many and I can't lose anymore. I'm thinking about my grandma, Arlita Walker. Holding my hands when we walk, I wonder what my energy was when it passed to her. I wonder if she felt so loved and appreciated in that moment like I have always felt with her. I'm thinking about how we laugh together around the world yet so far apart. Talking about Sherwin's poems, my need to try my best and how she misses eating breakfast together. I'm outside listening to thunder, each crack and boom. I wonder if the crack and boom are having a conversation. I wonder if they know I'm listening in. Maybe they're talking about me. Calling me a snoop and sending me rain so I'll leave them alone. I can feel the wind. I wonder if the wind and the clouds are in love. If so, I'm happy for them. I'm thinking about the time my grandma Rita and I went to show together. We ate at Wendy's and joked with one another. I wonder if the earth could feel my love for my grandma. Wondering if the air danced around us quietly, not wanting to interrupt. I'm thinking about the hummingbirds tattooed on my auntie's lake. I wonder what real hummingbirds think when they see it. I wonder if they giggle embarrassed or smug. I'm thinking about how they come by to see my auntie and they tell all their friends about the tattoo. I'm thinking about how the hummingbirds sit by my auntie's window to listen to her sewing machine hum. I'm curious about the earth, the dirt and how it connects to me. I wonder if the sun likes kissing our skin every day. I wonder if the rain misses me when it isn't around. I'm thinking about my Uncle Jay. I wonder if he thinks about the earth too when he's out fighting fires. If he feels bad for the plants that have passed on, nodding at them as he walks by. I'm thinking about the time we hugged at my sunrise dance. I felt scared and small, and somehow my uncle transferred strength to me. I'm thinking about energy. The energy of my love and curiosity, my sadness, my breathing, the anger and the rain. Sometimes when I sit outside, I can hear my heart beating. And I can't help but wonder about the Kiwis. Yeah. Thank you. That's one of your poems. I really like, um, when I wrote that poem, I was in the Emerging Diné Writers Institute. It was like, it was virtual, of course, but there were all these like Navajo poets like, um, like Jake Skeets, Amber McCrary, and, you know, all these amazing people. And one of my most favorite poets is Sherwin Bitsui. And they all have these different poems that talk about the earth. And they, they always like, they make the earth and everything like within nature, more lifelike. Like, I don't know how to really explain that, but everything has emotions and feelings and everything you get, you transfer everything. Like um, we had this whole talk about how you never really make your own dinner. You obviously you went to the store and you bought everything, but you're not the one that planted that. You you just bought it basically like you you bought it and you put it together sure but all these people like helped you make that meal it wasn't just you there was the people that made the plate for you there's the people that made the fork there's the people that you know helped take care of the vegetables there's the sun there's the rain there's the water all these things went into it and I spent a lot of time thinking about the different connections that I had with earth like just even this phone, there's somebody that made this phone for me, that person was fed and, you know, just so much. And um, a lot of the times for me, I get my strength in you know, people like my siblings and my grandma and my Uncle Jay and just like the these things. And um, I like the poem. My favorite part is about the um, tattoo though, the hummingbirds, because within my cultures, um, hummingbirds mean, if you see one, it means that you have good news coming to you and there's something good that's about to happen. And um, there's always some hummingbirds around my grandma's house, probably because there's a feeder. But I remember one time, uh, my aunt, she was wearing um, basketball shorts, so you could see her tattoo and all these like hummingbirds like flying around. And she was just like standing, she was talking to my grandma into the, at like the carport or whatever. And they all just kind of like sat there and they were just like, it looked like they're looking at her. And I was like, I bet they're looking at her tattoo. and. But yeah, thank you for letting me read for so long. That was probably the longest I've ever done reading and trying to explain my poetry. So I really appreciate that. But yeah, that was my last poem. Um, yeah, thank I'm you. Excited to- thank
0: you. Thank you. So now we're moving to our dialogue portion of this segment. Um, I, we really wanted to start highlight the the powerfulness of of Surya's uh, poems, who who just elevate our 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 world. Um, and this is really important because uh, we tied in uh, when we were talking about this event how uh, Jewish poetry also uplifts faith and hope and it's, very, it's used in a time to, to really uplift that when folks feel defeated, where folks feel in pain. Uh, so I would invite dialogue uh, right now, I'm going to either uh, ask you to unmute yourself and in the first uh, dialogue question is, uh for my jewish brethren uh and in my jewish community is what similarities do you see in your own uh in your own poetry um, in your own jewish poetry to the similarity uh, in Saria's writing and her poetry how does uh the feelings make you feel etc so i'm going to go ahead and open that up uh, go ahead and unmute yourself if you wish um, if you do if you uh, do not wish to speak you can go ahead and type it um, if, if there's awkward silence for too long, I am not scared of calling on people, so be prepared for that as well. So go ahead. Um, again, share uh, your own in your own spirituality. How has poetry helped you with
2: your faith? Uh, so, uh, hi, I'm Laurie Green, um, and a rabbi, and rarely write. Poetry uh, on occasion, but uh, read a fair amount of it. Uh, some of it's prayer poetry, some of it's other kinds. And um, I think what really struck me about what you said is you know, you're commenting that certain words just can't be translated into English. And it's, it's the same way, certain words just can't be translated into English. Uh, and when I'm teaching, I find, you know, teaching Hebrew poetry, uh, I find myself really like struggling with how to explain that. Um, so that's that's something that really struck me about similarities and and just the importance of maintaining our languages and cultures.
0: Thank you for that, Rabbi Lari. Go ahead, Jonathan. Jonathan Wolf in Chicago, Jonathan Wolf. I was on the editorial board of Shema magazine, which unfortunately lasted since my father and colleagues of his created it 50 years ago and just two, three years ago, closed up shop. And we used to have an annual issue of Jewish poetry and like 20 or 30 times more poems, many of them excellent, were submitted every year than we had room to print. So there's a tremendous amount of Jewish poetic imagination and language and creation going on, which we aren't even aware of because it has no outlet to be published. I guess that was before the Internet in the 80s. So now it could be posted at least. But there's a tremendous amount of of Jewish poetry in history and currently and published and circulated and a tremendous amount more that we don't even know about And, and we need to. Yes, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, if if uh, nobody else wants to, uh, I'm gonna uh, to talk right now. I'm gonna read uh, Ilana Weisel's um, comment on here. That is very good. Um, she said, "Traditionally, uh, Jewish uh, literature is full of poems that celebrate the elements of the world, as Saria did," and and I love that. And that's so true. That's so true. The passion. And she also, uh, Ilana also says, not just celebrate, but animate the elements, the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the mountains, et cetera. I encourage other folks to unmute and share with us. This is a great time uh, to really get to know and bridge both of our communities beautifully.
3: Uh, Eddie, can I ask a question or two? Yes, please. Yeah, there's so many things I wanna reflect on. Thank you for the beautiful poetry. Um, but just the uh, two questions I'm thinking about among, among so many others. Uh, because these themes around gender and, um, and race and uh, relationship to American culture. Um, and so w- one of them is sort of, how do you think about your relationship between your universalism and your particularism? Which is to say like being native and also being kind of in allyship with other minority groups. Um, and to what extent are you sort of ex- experience your native identity as one that's immersed in American culture or because of history sort of beyond it or outside of it or in tension with it? And so That's sort of one thing I'm thinking about and you don't, you don't need to answer that's just if you want to. And the second one is in Arizona, um, we, just had no, well, we, well, we just had a national election and and, and um, obviously an election in Arizona and the native community uh, showed up in huge numbers, in, in, in huge numbers. And I wonder what excites, is there a hope that actually marginalization will change in the community and thus people show up to vote? Or is there sort of a hopelessness that like, whoever wins these things, we're still on the outside and still heavily marginalized. So I'm wondering why that how that energy emerge, emerges within what I often hear as kind of a dominant sense of, of, of exploitation, white exploitation of, of, of native communities.
1: Um, well, in terms of the voting, um, I actually worked for Northeast Native Democrats for a while. And what we did was we tried to, you know, obviously get people out to vote and get registered to vote and do all these things. And um, I think considering everything that's been happening in the four years and president is and things he says and things he does, um, people were more than willing to get registered to vote. I think they recognize there's a change. And especially after um, people like Deb Holland got into office and it really helped help people realize that we can do these things too. Voting is still very brand new like even my mom she's like in her 40s maybe I have no idea. I think she's younger but I don't know but she told me like um voting was still something very brand new for her as a child like it was like extremely brand new and my grandpa finally got registered to vote this election and he voted thank goodness but um that was a lot of the stories that I heard from a lot of the older people that I talked to, like, they never felt like they belonged in voting. They didn't feel like they were good enough or they just didn't understand it really. And they didn't get like that their votes mattered too, especially because um, all of our tribes are sovereign. So sometimes we don't realize that everything that happens within the like national U um, S government affects us directly because there's no really um state tribe relationship there and I noticed a lot of our youth were just like we're voting like we may not like the person that we have to have because not everybody is a huge fan of Joe Biden but they were like we're voting no matter what we're voting for him because we can't stand Trump he allowed things like the Dakota Access Pipeline to happen um he did do something for MMIW but that was more so like he had to do it and in a way it wasn't as helpful as it could have been. Um, Things were taken out of that bill or that, um, I can't remember exactly what it's called right now, but things were taken out of it that didn't really necessarily help exactly. And he really just didn't do much for indigenous peoples in general, um, especially in regards to COVID. And I think that's what really made people realize we need to vote because, you know, we had all these people passing away, we had all these people sick, and we didn't really get any help from the US government. And with that, um, there was a lot of anger, I feel like during that time. And these people like they started pushing for change and then like, we're gonna vote them out. And I think during that process of it coming closer and closer and getting more educated about everything that could change potentially, people are more like, okay, we're gonna make this into how we want it. And with someone like Joe Biden, who actually you know wants a native person in his cabinet, and he actually has this whole plan for Native peoples, including like urban natives, and all these things, I think there is like this this hope that things will really change and that will be more seen within the within America in general, and hopefully, <laughs> we do. Um, but in regards to your other question, I. For me personally, I feel like natives are more on the outside of things. Um, I think we can try and immerse ourselves as much as we want to into American culture and stuff like that, but it's never really truly going to fit us because when you think about it, American culture isn't, it's a buildup of everybody else's culture into one essentially. and you can't really, you can't take that because some of, the, some of the things within that culture aren't yours. They're not yours to have, I guess. And they're the experiences of other people that you may not be able to connect with, um, especially in the way that American culture is looked at right now. When you think about American culture, a lot of the times you think of things like um, guns, hot dogs and burgers, um, you know, more like 4th of July. For me, that's how I view American culture. It reminds me of like the 4th of July, like all that stuff going on. Whereas for another person American culture is something completely different. It's it's not really like set in stone what it is, especially because like I said earlier, it's made up of so many people. And I don't know if you can really truly interject yourself into that. I feel like um, you can get used to it, that's for sure, but you can't really ever be a part of it. And I think that as time goes on, Native peoples won't be so opposite of it. I guess we'll we'll find a way to have the proper parts of our culture immersed within American culture because um, the way that natives are looked at right now is severely misrepresented, or more more mostly just seen as like headdresses. Um, I don't know, drinking alcoholism, things like that. But we're not seen for like really our culture or our resilience those things that hold us and yeah I don't know if I answered your question at all I feel like I just started talking and just kind of went with it but yeah Mm -hmm. thank you for asking I really appreciated that that was a really good
4: ask question I was like whoa thank you
0: thank you go ahead go ahead
4: um can I ask something first of all I just want to say I'm completely overwhelmed with your poetry and in a in a positive way I, I want to read read it again and I love it truly and one thing that I'm well, I just want to say and, and ask two things one is um, it's very like of the earth and even the way you speak about people it, it you know or your memories it's it's really like of the earth and of our experiences here which I just find you know really compelling and when you spoke I don't remember if it was in the poem or in some of your comments about, your ancestors and how they're praying for you. I can't remember your exact words, so forgive me if I've made a mistake. Um, but your your relationship with your ancestors and how they're looking out for you. I, I feel there is a kinship with you know with my feelings as a, as a, as a Jewish person because you know for me memory and for us I think memory and and and, and the are our people who, you know, people who we loved who died are, are always with us. We keep, you know, we keep the memory. My my son died recently of suicide, which is I made a comment about that of your telling of that I thought was truth, the way you spoke of it. And and you know, he's very much here for me. And and I feel and and, and honoring his memory um, and all of the people who died also I knew I feel like there's a kinship with that and the way you're honoring your your ancestors uh, can you speak to that if you if that resonates for you in any way
1: yeah um thank you and i'm really sorry about your loss that's something really hard to go through thank you. um i agree with you i think a lot of the times we may not realize it but our our family and those that we hold you know very dear to our heart um we we want the best for them for me um I said, I'm not like overly religious, but I do pray. And um, a lot of the times I obviously I pray for people that I have currently, like I have, you know, I have my mom, I have my grandparents, I have my friends, I have these people. But I pray also for, you know, their people who they're going to have in the future. I like to try and pray for like for their kids or for the grandkids. Because I know that yeah they're not here right now but they're going to be here one day and no matter what I want them to be protected by something and I want they might not ever know me they may not ever know that I prayed for them but I want them to have something there because I think as humans we have to care for each other a lot and sometimes you know how we care for another one for one another isn't always correct I guess like we can be too overbearing or we can be not overbearing enough and I feel like um, prayer I guess is one of the ways that we can be there for one another and be there for one another in the the long term kind of sense Um, when I think about my ancestors it's it's so easy and it's so hard for me to think about them it's so easy because in the sense like all these native organizations always say that like oh, your ancestors are watching over you. You're, you're your ancestors while the streams. And it's so easy, but at the same time, it's so hard because I don't know them. I've never met them personally. Like, how do I know that I'm what they wanted? Like, how do I know I'm doing the right kind of thing? And it's so hard, but at the end of the day, you just have to trust that, I guess. You trust that, you know, they love and they care for you and that they did pray for you and, you know, for me personally, I know they prayed for me. I know because there are so many things that have happened that I could have easily just given up at some point, but I know that they prayed for me because I'm still here. I'm still kicking and I have all these great people by my side and I get to do cool things like this and talk to all of you and, you know, hear your thoughts and things like that. So I know my ancestors there for me in that kind of sense. And yeah.
4: it's just so beautiful and thank you and also just I just want to comment that you that also the way you brought it to the future generations in a prayerful way like a religious way it's you know we think about the future generations as like hoping to make the world better for them but the way you you relate it to like in a religious like in a prayerful context is just is a really new way of thinking about it for me so I, I want to thank you for that also thank you
0: appreciate both of you thank you so much uh, this discussion can go on for hours and hours and hours but i do want to respect everybody's time don't worry our jewish native dialogues are not going anywhere we will be having plenty more to continue because we believe that as we are consistent with shabbat we are consistent with our allyship and our bridge building and that will never stop i want to finish off with the poem that really resonated with my heart Uh, this is from rabbi sheldon martyr Um, This poem is called For the Community in Time of Crisis. It says, may there be healing and blessing for us and all the people throughout the world who live now under the shadows of an illness, anxiety, and isolation. May people hope, turn out fear to faith, and show us the way of peace of mind, wholeness within, and strength from community. May those who care for the sick with their hands, their voices, and their hearts Be blessed with courage and stamina. May those who pursue pursue healing through medical skill, knowledge, be blessed with insight, patience, and compassion. Let us, the caregivers and the hope givers, shine the soft light of human kindness in dark places. May all of us, the sick and the well, together know and feel the blessing of ancient times. Be strong and of good courage. Thank you, everybody, for being on this call. Huge shout out to our amazing friend, Saria, who is just a powerful student, activist, poet, leader, etc., etc., I can go on and on and on, who we have had the honor to register voters and talk about our civic engagement together with our Native communities. Uh, it seems like it was yesterday in February, Saria, that we were registering our Native community to vote. So I, I appreciate all of you. I want to give another acknowledgement to our great friend, Rosetta Walker, our, uh, a great elder friend who's here as well, uh, uh, Native elder who we just adore and love. Everybody, have a blessed day. If I cannot see you personally, Shabbat Shalom for our Jewish community in community with all of you. Stay safe, wear a mask, help keep our community safe. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye.